Hey everyone. If you're like me, you may wonder how to become a better person, specifically than Kellen. Well, today's book is Doing Good Better by William McCaskill. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and to me, doing good better sounds like the least correct way to order those three words. <laughs> and I'm David Vance. <laughs> I've noticed that if you podcast about donating to charity, people just automatically assume you do it. Doing Good Better is about how you can do the most good with your life. It made me rethink my job as head of Camel's child marketing division. <laughs> and this is The Book Pile. Pizak, Pisak says... In spite of being a podcast omnivore, this is one I must listen to every time. Very smart, very funny. It leaves you feeling smarter than when you started, and also just in a better mood. Rare. Okay, maybe I don't know what omnivore means. <laughs> I assume it means he listens to podcasts by vegetarians and carnivores. But I mean, <laughs> I guess that would mean ours, because <laughs> you and I cover that spectrum. All right, and if you want to request a book for us to cover or you just have some nice compliments about how slow I talk, email us at thebookpilepodcast at gmail.com. To be clear, do not mention how slow he talks. <laughs> you never see him, but then I have to deal with it. <laughs> Any half joke, half insult that ends with just kidding, I take as a full insult. <laughs> Finally, our next two books are The Alchemist and Movies and Other Things. All right, and without further ado, here are four lessons that we took from Doing Good Better. Lesson one, treat charity a little more like beans. All right, think of the last time you gave to charity. And let's say you gave $50. I'm betting most of us have no idea how much good that $50 actually does. And I'm going to tweak a metaphor from the book. It's like if you go to a grocery store to buy beans and they say, hi, would you like to spend $50 on beans today? And instead of asking the price so you know how many beans that gets you, you just say, yeah, beans is a good cause. I'm passionate about beans. <laughs> or you say, oh yeah, my mom's cousin had beans. Here's $50. <laughs> Maybe you do a little more homework and you find out, oh, this bean company has low overhead. <laughs> anyway, he says, you would never buy beans this way. You'd want to know what your money actually does. So why do we give to charity that way? Two charities can save lives, but you would never know that one saves a hundred times more lives with your money because we just never check. Mm -hmm. And he mentions in the book, the best charities are hundreds of times better than the mediocre ones. Anyway, I love GiveWell.org because they actually try to figure out where does a dollar do the most good. And I super recommend spending a few minutes on their website looking at their top nine charities. It's GiveWell.org. You should have done that with a real cheesy, it's worth the beans, and then no one goes <laughs> to it. <laughs> the dad joke steers them away from saving lives. <laughs> I was just about to give away my money, and then he got all cringy for a second. <laughs> On that idea of efficiently saving lives, <laughs> this is terrible. Sometimes when I'm playing ping pong, if I'm not playing super well, I imagine, okay, imagine that someone had your whole family hostage, and every time you lose a point, they kill a family member. <laughs> 
And then I play so much better. <laughs> Does it really help? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't remember that chapter of the inner game of tennis. Because <laughs> his whole thing is like, just relax, just let it happen. But you straight up go Liam Neeson on your opponent. <laughs> Well, so many of the ping pong points I lose are that I'm just too aggressive or I make a dumb error. And you're just more calmly focused when you picture someone has a gun to Jessica's head. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Lesson two, boycotting doesn't always work. Just ask my only doctor that I stopped going to. (laughs) So My primary care doctor is named Dr. Starbuck. There is no way he's real. <laughs> and I keep meaning to go check. <laughs> so something I learned from this book is that we mistakenly assume that if we stop buying from places that outsource to sweatshops, that those companies will either start treating their employees better or they'll succumb to economic pressures, go out of business, and then those workers will find better work elsewhere. But it's just not the case. <laughs> When the U.S. government threatened to stop doing business with sweatshops in Bangladesh because of children's rights, those sweatshops fired over 50,000 kids. But those kids didn't end up going home and playing hopscotch. Like, I'm not sure what goes through (laughs) politicians' minds when they're writing these bills, as if these kids will be like, finally, I don't have to work anymore, right? Like, those families still needed the money. Gosh. In an investigation by UNICEF, they found that most of those children ended up either working in unregistered sweatshops under worse conditions or trying to make money on the street. He says, in underdeveloped countries, sweatshop jobs are the good jobs. Man. With this information, doesn't it now seem obvious that buying clothes from sweatshop-free stores is very much the modern version of, then let them eat cake? (laughs) He brings up the point that while horrible, virtually all developed countries, including the United States, went through a sweatshop phase Hmm. to get to their developed face. So the solution to eliminating the need for kids to work in sweatshops is not to boycott those products, but to do more to help those countries develop faster. They made the point too that when people put pressure on organizations and say, we'll only buy goods that pay their workers a certain amount, the poor countries can't actually do that. And so they just end up migrating to wealthier countries and all those jobs go away. Mm -hmm. So my takeaway is Don't boycott Disney for political or sweatshop reasons. Boycott them because they ruined Star Wars. (laughs) All right, lesson three. To be good people, we need to get better at math. I think I'd be a very cool youth pastor. (laughs) (laughs) He tells this story about Scared Straight. It was this program where they took teens who were getting into crime and they brought them to prison to show them how awful it was so that they would stop being delinquents. And sure enough, after that prison visit, the teens do less crime. Well, someone ran more numbers and they found, yeah, but if you don't take the kids to the prison at all, they commit even less crime later, which means they were already going to get better and scared straight actually made them do more crime. (laughs) It's like you have the flu in the 1800s and the doctor says, I'm going to take out your blood because 80% of my patients get better after this. And you say, yeah, but 90% get better if you don't do it. (laughs) Scared straight was so ineffective to the point of actually increasing crime. 
that someone concluded every dollar spent on Scared Straight costs society $203. It's like how we've known for decades that D.A.R.E. does nothing, but I still had a police officer come tell me exactly how to not smoke crack. (laughs) Okay, next, don't put it in a spoon. (laughs) One quick tangent about bloodletting, since I know from uh, very concrete statistics available to me that most of our listeners did not listen to our Nine Pints episode, which is a book about blood. I still find it so fascinating that leeches were eventually used for bloodletting. And even though bloodletting they found uh, actually was completely ineffective and killed millions of people, (laughs) using leeches actually has amazing benefits for people to heal from scar tissue. Hmm. I didn't listen to that episode either. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that crazy, though? It's essentially like they used a a good tool for the wrong reasons for half a millennium. (laughs) It would be like if syringes existed for hundreds of years, but doctors were just using them to scratch the diseases out of you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Then finally one day, one of them was like, oh, we could just just use these uh, to put medicine directly into the bloodstream. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, all this to say, maybe having a whole country be terrible at math and statistics is not the harmless lark we thought it was. (laughs) All right. Lesson four. Sometimes when your heart is in the right place, more people die. (laughs) This is going to be my epitaph. This is bedtime stories with Kellen. (laughs) (laughs) So McCaskill says, imagine going to a happy hour where you could buy yourself a beer for $5 or someone else a beer for five cents. So first, can we not ignore the fact that McCaskill is clearly a raging alcoholic (laughs) because (laughs) he could have compared... Any other food at $5 to $0.05. Cents. So imagine heaven. Five-cent <laughs> beers. But I think this is such a concrete way of illustrating the magnitudes and order that your money can have when donated to better charities. Yeah. In other words, for certain countries, you can do a hundred times or more the amount to benefit other people than you can to benefit yourself. He says, focus on what's effective rather than what is emotionally appealing. I think part of the reason we don't pay attention to charity effectiveness and we just give according to what feels good is that if you give a hundred bucks to a charity, whether it's effective or not, you still feel a hundred dollars good. You are still a hundred dollars of a good person. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, that's how I feel when I shop at Costco. And at that point, I'm just donating to myself. (laughs) These two tubs of ice cream are feeding a family. (laughs) So, for example, we could do much more to save lives by funding efforts to fight malaria treatments in the developing world than we can do with the same money funding cancer research in the developed world. 
it sounds harsh, but he's just comparing numbers of lives with numbers of lives. So he cites a study finding that it costs an average of $50,000 per person to provide the same life-preserving efforts that $100 in insecticide-treated bed nets does, which greatly reduce chances of malaria in sub-Saharan Africa. And in that case, that's a 500 to 1 multiplier. He says, each time you donate, you're making a choice with your money, who to help and who to leave out. And that's such a stark principle. Yeah. His mantra is to help as many people as possible with each dollar that you give. I will say, though, I don't know how you feel about this, Dave. One part of this that I disagree with, he brings up how if you decide to start donating to a cause just because a loved one has struggled with it or passed away because of that specific ailment, that it's noble but arbitrary and that your money could help more people elsewhere from a different disease. And I see the logic in that, but I also think that what if someone has never donated to anything, but now they do? Isn't that okay? (laughs) I mean, everything probably is comparison. Like, is donating to prevent pogo stick accidents better than no donation? And also (laughs) your cousin died in a pogo stick accident? Yeah, probably. Is it as good as deworming? Probably not. (laughs) Yeah, I do think that de-pogo sticking does something for all of us. (laughs) Have you ever been on a pogo stick? Yeah. It is like, (laughs) it is so much work for so little reward. It's like setting up dominoes. There was a stage in elementary school when I learned how to do several tricks on a pogo stick. (laughs) I could jump up in the air and spin the stick around and land on it. Oh, wow. (laughs) I could twist it back and forth. It's stuff like that that makes me so grateful that cameras in phones didn't exist when I was a kid. (laughs) I look back on a lot of the things I loved in elementary school, and it's crazy to me that I never wondered if I might not be cool. (laughs) (laughs) I was with my uh, 10-year-old this week. We were playing cornhole with some of his friends, and uh, I picked up a few of the beanbags and started juggling them. And one of the kids was like, how are you so good at that? And I was like, I didn't do drugs in high school. (laughs) I love the idea that juggling gave you the same high as cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I was just implying, like, I spent my time doing something else almost just as wasteful. (laughs) So my takeaway from this is that we can do hundreds of times more to help the most impoverished countries than we can in the rich countries we live in. We're a hundred times richer than the poorest billion people in the world. Wow. So maybe just remember that the next time you find yourself complaining that the wait at the drive-thru is too long. (laughs) All right, random facts. He mentions at the time of this writing in 2015, they estimate you can literally save a life with a donation of $3,400 to the Against Malaria Foundation, which is amazing. But I've noticed that once you know that, it's very hard to buy anything else (laughs) guilt-free. Remember that movie, Seven Pounds? That's like, would you give your life if you could save seven lives with your organs? Mm -hmm. Well, this is like, would you save seven lives if it meant you had a smaller house? (laughs) (laughs) Or, hey, you see the new Tesla? It costs 
28 human lives. <laughs> Would you take your family of four to Disney World if it meant someone died? <laughs> I mean, that Avatar ride looks pretty cool. <laughs> Who's dying? <laughs> I mean, how happy are they in the first place? I... <laughs> There was a time I was talking with my roommate and we calculated the runtime on the videos I've written and it came to I had wasted like 20 human lives or something. (laughs) So he illustrates the wide spectrum of carbon footprint waste that we might not be aware of. He says one hot bath creates more of a carbon footprint than leaving your phone charged for a whole year. Wow. <laughs> I just want to know, is there an environmental hall of fame? Because I don't take baths, plus I never remember to charge my phone. <laughs> you know your job is one where you fly every day, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many hotel housekeepers that I have inadvertently donated chargers to. <laughs> He says, even leaving on your TV for a year is better than driving a car for two hours. Oh, my gosh. So my solution to this is just Ubering all the time, right? (laughs) (laughs) That way I never make a carbon footprint. It'll be all my drivers that go to hell. (laughs) One of my takeaways from this book is that if you live in a rich country, you are richer than you think. This was 2015, but he said, if you earn $28,000, you're in the richest 5% of the world. And then even $11,000, you're richer than 85% of everyone in the world. So I think what all Americans should do is start wearing those Monopoly top hats. (laughs) And we should also probably give a little more. Yeah, that's what I want to say to the, all those people involved with the Occupy Wall Street movement. <laughs> Down with the 1%. Most <laughs> of the rest of the world is like, you are the one. Per- like, you, <laughs> yeah. you have a really nice tent. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, how big are we drawing this circle? <laughs> like, if you want total redistribution of wealth, but you don't want open borders, you're not as socialist as you think. <laughs> <laughs> So I looked it up. Just the Southern California region of the Salvation Army spends a million dollars a year to take 30% of donations to the freaking dump. So here's another way. What? To do better, good, better, better, good, do. (laughs) Stop taking your broken to the goodwill. Only give good stuff, like a crock pot that still works and you only used it twice. But if you got a table with just two working legs, drive it to the landfill yourself. And while you're at it, jump in there too. Stop masquerading as a philanthropist by giving poor people a battleship game with all the boats missing. (laughs) I know I've told this joke before about the Fields Medal, which is like the Nobel Prize for math. But the book says, if someone wins the Fields Medal, you know two things about them. One, they were capable of accomplishing something truly important. And two, they didn't. (laughs) (laughs) There's a chapter where he brings up the discussion about how effective certain jobs are. He says, the odds of becoming 
Prime Minister of England are one in 50 million. But if you studied philosophy, politics, and economics at Oxford, your odds then become one in 3,000, wow. given that nine of the prime ministers did the same. And this is my problem when the odds are given out so generally. Like, they say your odds of getting killed by a shark are one in four million. It's like, yeah, or they're one in a hundred if you scuba dive in Australia. Like, <laughs> you have some control of it. Your chances of getting struck by lightning are half a million to one. Or there's zero if you never go hiking, right? Like there's an answer. <laughs> I've thought about that before when people talk about their love life, like it's out of their control. Like you can't choose when lightning strikes. And it's like, you can do so much to improve your chance of getting struck by lightning. <laughs> <laughs> so Dave mentioned that you can go to givewell.org for a, a list of uh, the most cost-effective charities. Uh, to me, a, a few of the notable ones are, uh, first, Helen Keller International. By the way, I can't tell you how many times people have made fun of me by calling me Helen Keller, simply by hearing that my first name is Kellen. <laughs> they made fun of you by calling you an icon? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, they give out vitamin A supplements. 200,000 deaths per year are attributed to that deficiency. And Dave, you mentioned the Against Malaria Foundation, which, first of all, <laughs> apparently they're an incredible foundation, but maybe a bit on the nose with the name, as if we would assume <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> Just so we're clear, we are not fans. <laughs> You know how countries with Democratic in the name are super undemocratic? <laughs> <laughs> this company is definitely hiding its pro-malaria stance. <laughs> so they give out the nets that I spoke of earlier, which are just $5 a piece. And finally, there's Give Directly, which I started donating to, and I set up a a, a monthly donation subscription to them because of this book. 90% oh. of the money is transferred directly to an impoverished family who, on average, live on $3,700 a year. So you can imagine if you gave $100 a month, you're increasing their living wages by 30%. Crazy. Which again, going back to that analogy of donating to uh, underdeveloped countries versus ours, think of a friend of yours right now who's going through a really rough time financially. Imagine that you went up to them and you were like, hey, sorry, times are tough. What if I gave you a 30% raise? Yeah. <laughs> Instead, we're just like, hey, man, let me know when I can drive you to the airport. <laughs> I can joke about that because I did go through hard times during the pandemic. <laughs> and I did make jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I do think about how the people who need my money the most, I would definitely give them more if they were my next door neighbors. I'm going to modify an example from Peter Singer. If there were a lake in front of my house and there were thousands of people drowning in that lake and someone said, quick, buy as many $3,400 jet skis as you can to save a person who's drowning, there would be probably almost no limit to these people who I'm trying to save. But because they're so far away that I can't see them, I can be like, well, I got to take care of me. <laughs> Dave is just subtly uh, giving us hints about his bank account, uh, implying that he could buy several jet skis if he wanted to. 
<laughs> I think a lot of people who have jobs could find a way to save a few lives at that price. Sure. There are a lot of things that we think of as necessities that are not necessities. Like, Kellen, if you needed a lot of money to save your child's life, I think you would find that your discretionary income is much higher than you think. <laughs> oh, for sure. Also, question... Um, after I saved those people with all those jet skis, do I, do I get to keep the jet skis? Oh, obviously. <laughs> all right. To recap our favorite lessons from doing good better. One, treat charity a little more like beans. Two, boycotting doesn't always work. Three, to be good people, we need to get better at math. Four, sometimes when your heart is in the right place, more people die. And five, buy a jet ski or don't. Either way, you're saving a life. You've never been so effective with your donations. <laughs> okay, I do hear it now. Now.